0: From High Atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, August 25th. Sweet
1: That's a sweet
2: cherry. That's a sweet cherry, and a, there's a sour cherry. Yeah, I want a sweet cherry.
0: If it's midday on a weekday, you'll likely find Dave Lyle in the thick of the action.
2: I made four pies. I made a tart cherry pie, I made a lemon tart on a cookie crumb crust. I mean, this is a called a pan dowdy. He explains that's where you shingle the pie crust in a traditional
0: early American style. In this circle of friends, Dave is well known for his
2: skills in the kitchen. And this, this is made with Linda Bynum's sweet cherries from her yard. And this chocolate pecan pie. Meanwhile, what, what, what kind of pie would you like? I was lucky
0: enough to be at the Grand Center during their pie social earlier this summer. The homemade pie was special, but the social, well, that happens almost every day here. Senior citizens from all over Grand and Northern San Juan counties come to eat lunch, plan activities, and just plain hang out.
1: One morning they play bingo, and then on um, the next day we have the Coffee and tea, and we have a different speaker, different subjects that we talk on. It seems to be getting larger and larger.
0: Sandy McKimian started coming to senior events at the Grand Center over a decade ago, after her husband passed.
1: This is my family. I said, between them and my granddaughter, they was a (laughs) lifesaver. And, and we have a book club, there's a book club that, and then they do exercising and walking and Tai Chi and there's a lot of activities going on. It, it's a
0: wonderful place to come to.
2: Uh, I was really reluctant to come over here because I thought, I don't need to go to a senior center, you know. That's Dave again.
0: It seems like a lot of the folks who now participate in all the action were reluctant at first. But the Grand Center attracts a pretty diverse age group. There's baby boomers like Dave and folks in their upper 90s. And like other initially doubtful seniors, he just decided to check it out one day.
2: I came over here and the first thing I noticed is there are a bunch of little ladies after lunch that play canasta. I love canasta. My grandmother taught me to play when I was about 10 or 11. So I decided, well, I'm going to start over there and just stir them up a little bit. So that's exactly, and I'm still over here stirring them up every, almost every day that they play. I love, I love doing this.
0: Plus, he points out seniors can eat lunch here for just $2.50.
2: And I don't even have to wash dishes. I don't know, I just found myself, the more I interacted with all the people over here, the more I enjoyed it. If, you're, if you listen as much as you talk, which is sometimes hard for me, there's some wonderful people here. A lot of life experience, a lot of interesting things. Everybody's lives are so different. We all think we're the same, and we all think we're different, and they're both true. We all have things in common. It seems like the older I get, though, the more organ recitals I hear, where people are just talking about all the organs that aren't working anymore.
0: (laughs) Organ recitals might be common parlance for people getting older, but that's part of this social experience, too. And if those conversations get more serious, the Grand Center's staff helps advocate for them. They navigate seniors through things like health insurance and even connect them with housing programs. Yordi Eastwood is the program director at the Grand Center. She says for a lot of aging people in our community, health also means the ability to stay connected. Isolation
1: during covid Um, The biggest issue with the seniors was isolation. They didn't have the social interaction that is necessary for humans. But I think here, the socialization, adding more things that they're doing, um, is just really important. A lot of these people are, some of them are still from before COVID, and some of them are new people after COVID. So it's kind of fun to see new faces and new ideas, because everybody has ideas and likes and dislikes, just like everything else <laughs> hi lila what kind of pie is this a peanut pie. a peanut pie peach a peach pie thank you
0: more seniors drift in through the grand center's double doors with their homemade pies another plays piano as everyone starts to gather
2: they have a lot of fun they you know they're they're not like sitting around uh, waiting to die or not <laughs> you know um, there's a lot of life left in them
0: at 64, Jamie Dawson is one of the younger seniors who frequents the center. He says he enjoys hearing stories from older generations.
2: Believe it or not, when I was younger, I was probably one of the few people that would stop and listen to old people. I would love to hear their stories in that, you know, just because I knew they were there before me, you know, and I'm looking forward. I I, I actually enjoy the, the intellectual stimulation, um, you know, that goes on with the because I, you do get wiser as you get older. At least you're supposed to. So
1: <laughs> I used to do the rodeo
0: and uh, horses and put on horse shows, rodeos. We had a monthly rodeo. Ethel Christ is entertaining me with her stories from her past as we chat before lunch. After her husband passed away, she decided to open the OK Campground. She was 70 years old. Well, goodness, I was
1: just getting started. And it was was amazing, amazing. Uh, I got to hear stories that, you know, and they wanted to tell you their lives.
0: And yeah, it was like a storybook every day. Ethel is now in her 90s. She's not running the campground anymore. She says she can't see too well, but she still teaches horsemanship, sort of kinda, those are her words, at her house in Spanish Valley. And the Grand Center's van comes nearly every day to pick her up, take her to lunch, so she can swap stories with friends and neighbors. This is yet another new chapter in her life. It's totally different. It takes
1: a lot of adjusting. And I just heard something on TV this morning that clicked. It said, now let me see if I can dig it out of my brain. Oh, it's important to be needed. There's less need f- for me now. Because I'm, uh, you know, me. they need me. No. I need them, but What I really need in my life is to be needed. Everybody needs to be needed some way or somehow. That makes happiness is to be needed.
0: The Grand Center is helping foster community among seniors so they are needed. They're needed to weigh in at book club, bring a pie for the social, show up for Tai Chi, and support each other through big adjustments in their lives. The seniors are going on a road trip this weekend to Mount Rushmore. They'll be carrying a microphone for KZMU, so we'll all get to hear firsthand about their journey and, inevitably, their stories. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. As Sophia Fisher of the Times Independent reports... The herd of mountain goats in the LaSalle Mountains has long served as a lightning rod in the Moab community. But little has come to light about their impacts on other animal species. She reports that's going to change as a research project studying the 100 animal herd gets off the ground.
3: There's a team of researchers studying the mountain goat herd in the La Salle Mountains. There are about 100 goats up there, and they are researching these mountain goats' interactions with pikas, which are small rodent-like mammals that live up in the Alpine area.
0: Pikas are known um, for being very cute. (laughs) I would agree with that statement. Okay, so as it says uh, in the Times Independent in this article, they're studying uh, the interactions with this species, between these two species. So how do they go about this research? Who are they, and what's
3: going on? Yeah absolutely the lead on this research is Mallory Sandoval Lambert she's a grad student at Utah State University and her interest was first piqued uh, in studying these interactions when she was uh, studying just the pika population in the La Salle a couple of years ago and saw some mountain goats hanging mm-hmm. out in the same habitat that pikas inhabit and was wondering what their interactions were like mm-hmm. so she's specifically looking at three possible evidence for three possible forms mm-hmm. of interaction which is competition which hopefully folks know what that is already, uh, as well as resource partitioning, which is this cool thing like when two species kind of adapt to live alongside one another and Mm -hmm. partition their resources. Mm -hmm. And the third possible interaction she's looking at is facilitation, which is where two species kind of inadvertently help each other out. So the example that Mallory used was one species, and in other places where there are pikas and some sort of ungulate, one species will kind of trim vegetation down to just where they're like short and very nutritious stalks, and then the other species will eat those. They're kind of helping each other out without meaning to.
0: Oh, interesting. That's different than what we've been hearing about mountain goats.
3: It's interesting because, yeah, there's so much broader significance to to this mountain goat herd um, and, yeah, as folks may or may not know, they were actually dropped into the LaSalle Mountains by the, the state, the Utah mm-hmm. Division of Wildlife Resources, uh, 10 years ago, almost exactly. And mm-hmm. to date, uh, from my understanding, there's really been no research on how the mountain goats are interacting with other animal species. Mm-hmm. There have been reports and studies on their impacts on vegetation, right. which appear to be negative. It seems like they're hurting mm-hmm. high alpine uh, vegetation species, but we're really not sure how they're interacting with other animals. So there's definitely a, a, broader, a broader significance to this research. Is this the first of its kind? then, you know, as far
0: as um, studying that interaction with other animals.
3: Yes. Yes, I believe so. And uh, Mallory Sandoval-Lambert, the researcher, made the really good point that, you know, the mountain goat herd here, because they um, aren't necessarily native, Mm -hmm. they get kind of ignored by many scientists, even if they are controversial in the community at large. A lot of scientists aren't really interested in this transplanted population. They're Mm -hmm. much more interested in native uh, or like decidedly native mountain goat herds. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, Lambert made the point that, you know, the the translocation of of this herd made it more interesting for her to see if the way... um, um, certainly native mountain goat herds behave is reflected in our own herd.
0: Anything else to say about this research that's uh, going on? right now in the LaSalle mountains
3: yeah she should have her first results um by this fall and I also want to say that we'll be doing some I'll be doing some more reporting on the mountain goat herd up in the Salle's because it is their kind of 10-year anniversary of arriving there and I, they've certainly been controversial in the local community ever since um so this is not the only reporting we will be doing on this herd okay
0: we definitely look forward to more information on mountain goats 10 years that's unbelievable. All right well moving on what else would you like to highlight in this week's edition of the Times Independence?
3: You- yes um, we have uh, plenty of local government news. Um, one of our big stories is perhaps unexpected to a lot of listeners and that is a deal that fell through uh, to move the Moab to Monument Valley Film Commission to the Red Cliffs Foundation. Um, this deal had been in the works for months and the Grand County Commission in July approved a contract mm-hmm. uh, to send the Film Commission to the new arts focused foundation for 17 months uh, but the Redcliffe's foundation board declined to approve that contract. Uh, just a week or two later.
0: Okay, so that's a little bit of a surprise. Um, the negotiations um, have really been um, with Redcliffe's foundation staff and the county, and it seemed like you know there was a lot of detailed discussions. And uh, tell us. You know, what do we what do we what do you know about why this was declined by the Redcliffe Foundation board itself?
3: Certainly. So I reached out to Gabe Garn, who's the president of the Redcliffe Foundation, and he essentially said, you know, the body was initially excited to absorb the film commission, at least for, you know, this year and a half contract, but ended up finding the final contract to put too much responsibility on the foundation without ensuring appropriate funding from Grand County is essentially what he said, you know, too much stick, not enough carrot, perhaps. Okay. All right.
0: So they were not exactly excited about the final details, um, Mm -hmm. the financial details. What does that mean for the film commission now and the film
3: commissioner? Absolutely. I mean, as of right now, the Film Commission remains where it was before in Grand County's Economic Development Department. Uh, It's funded there through transient room tax revenue to the tune of about $150,000 annually. Um, And I think the future is somewhat uncertain at this point. Uh, Biga Metzner, the Film Commissioner, kind of declined to comment specifically on what she saw the future as, but said, you know, she's certainly still focused on how to make it work um, and how to get the Film Commission the support it needs, because she and, and other folks in the community, other folks of the county feel that it's kind of underfunded and under supported in its current placement. And that's what caused the initial impetus to potentially move it over to this foundation.
0: So looking for more support, whether that's from, you know, other staff or financial support, that's what started this conversation in the first place. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. it sounds like the deal might have died because of lack of financial support.
3: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. One other point to Uh make, too, is there was this public stakeholder meeting back in May Mm -hmm. where, you know, some people spoke up in favor of the move. Some people didn't. But I think the concerns of the folks who weren't necessarily jazzed about the move mm-hmm. was that they were worried about sorts of a sort of favoritism. If the mm-hmm. film commission was located at this private foundation that's associated yeah. with this lodge, they might get, you know, more business from film productions. And that spurred the county commission to add a lot of kind of guardrails to the contract mm-hmm. with all these required reports and meetings and, and stakeholder outreach that, you um, Bega Metzner would have been required to do had had the deal gone through and it seems like that was also part of the um, concern that came from the Red Cliffs Foundation ultimately were all those kind of extra requirements.
0: So as of right now the film commission is still with Grand County mm-hmm. sounds like uh, maybe some ongoing conversations in the future though.
3: And I think concerns uh-huh. about the film commission sustainability are still very much present you know sure. I mean that hasn't changed so I'm, sure. I'm curious to see where it goes.
0: Well there's more in the paper Sophia where do you want to take us next?
3: Uh, More county news,
0: as always. What happened uh, at the county commission meeting?
3: Yes, um, tempers flared over uh, nominations to appoint somebody to a local water board. Uh, Specifically, Commissioner Bill Winfield accused the commission of, quote, manipulating and meddling in somebody else's business, end quote, uh, when the commission... Uh, was voting on sending several nominees for this vacancy to Governor Spencer Cox who's ultimately responsible for appointing somebody to the board.
0: Now what brought on these comments? Did he explain it?
3: Yes, absolutely. And, and just for background the mm-hmm. vacancy was on the Grandwater Conservancy District Board. Okay. Uh, one of the members of that board uh, died unexpectedly this wow. year so there is a vacancy and the way that board works is the Grand County Commission gets to send three nominees to the governor who chooses one. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically that Conservancy District Board itself had forwarded their nominees to the county commission. The county commission um, of those three nominees agreed with only one and then Mm -hmm. sent two others of their own choosing from the applicants. Um, And that spurred Winfield's comments. I think specifically he told me he was he saw this frustrating pattern of the Grand County Commission overriding recommendations from its volunteer and, and local boards, and he was very frustrated by that.
0: Now, the Grand County Commission, of course, you know, they do have the um, administrative right to nominate
3: their own nominees, I guess. Is that right? They do, and that's what prompted uh, Commission Vice Chair Kevin Walker to say he was confused by Winfield's comments. You know, he said, sometimes we disagree with recommendations from boards, that happens, and he didn't right. understand why it was seen as kind of manipulative or meddling.
0: Now, um, did the nominees go through the commission despite um, Bill Winfield's comments?
3: they did the motion to nominate uh, their choices past five to two with Winfield and Commissioner Mike McCurdy in opposition. And the nominees were uh, from kind of first place or first choice to third choice, Kara uh, Dorenwend, Steve Getz, and Kevin Clyde. And of those three, only Clyde was also somebody the Conservancy District Board had um, recommended. And I should say the nomination of Dorenwend sparked uh, additional ire, especially from Winfield. You know, he said he felt fine about Getz or Clyde, but Doran went, he. Said he vehemently opposed, didn't see in any way, shape, or form how she should be nominated because he said mm-hmm. um, he spoke of her use of aquifer or culinary water uh, for her plant nursery rather than irrigation water and mm-hmm. said he saw this conservancy, conservancy district board as essentially a board managing Kenslake irrigation water. I see. Okay. So he wasn't um, thrilled with her, like what
0: he perceived as her um, resume, I suppose. So. Anyone coming to the defense of their top nominee?
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, both Walker and Commissioner Trisha Dean spoke highly of Doran Wend. They said, um, you know, she's been very involved in water for quite a while. She's the direct, director of the nonprofit room to Rim restoration. Um, I spoke with Doran Wend herself and she said she was confused uh, somewhat about Winfield's perspective on that Conservancy board. She said she also didn't see it as only irrigation water and pointed to the board's founding documents back from, mm-hmm. I believe, 1971 that outline the board's responsibilities as that of using and developing and conserving water for a variety of different uses from municipal and recreation Mm -hmm. to irrigation and all sorts of other things, but certainly not irrigation focused.
0: So that nomination sparked some controversial discussion at the county commission. Um, Like you explained, um, this has to be approved, this nomination has to be approved by the governor. So all right. And finally, Sophia, will you um, tell us about uh, the Times Independence coverage on West Nile virus?
3: Yes, uh, West Nile virus. It's a mosquito-borne uh, disease, and it was found in Moab mosquitoes last week on August 16th.
0: So this is something that has been found here before.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it does tend to crop up in Utah communities mm-hmm. at, um, m- many years, right around this time of year. So it's a very normal time of year for this to show mm-hmm. up in the mosquito population. Um It is, you know, it can be a dangerous disease. According to the CDC, though, about 80 percent of folks infected with West Nile don't develop symptoms. Wow. Um, So that's a high number. That's a high percentage. That's a higher percentage (laughs) than I was expecting personally. And then if you do, you know, you can get fever and body aches and nausea. And, you know, in rare cases, it can cause very serious or or Mm -hmm. fatal uh, symptoms. So Mm -hmm you know not necessarily worth a freak out but worth mm-hmm. awareness mm-hmm. Um, and at the moment the Moa Mosquito Abatement District is in the process of setting more traps and trying to gather more information they mm-hmm. only had a few mosquitoes kind of in that specific trap that tested positive and the mosquitoes were from different locations around town mm-hmm. so they're not exactly certain where it came from and therefore they haven't made a decision yet about whether or not to spray but you know they are certainly thinking about it and consulting with folks at the local health department.
0: Okay and spraying you know has occurred in the past and I know that the mosquito abatement district has been trying to figure out the best way to let community members know um, when they have decided to do that. Um, have they, did they talk to you about that?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Steve Schaefer, he's the manager of the abatement district. I mean, I know he plans to use local press to help spread the word if, and when they do decide to spray and, um, I know that I've seen announcements posted on their website. Um, hopefully they'll make use of social media accounts as well. And I know that's definitely a big priority of his. Kind of whenever I've spoken with Schaefer, he's talked about wanting to partner to make sure we get the word out effectively right. if they decide to spray. So.
0: Now, of course, you can reduce the risk of contracting West Nile virus. Sophia, what did you learn there?
3: Yes, um, it's probably the expected things. You know, use yeah. bug spray, wear long sleeves, empty standing water in your yard because that'll help proliferate mosquitoes in the area. Um, all sorts of things, you know, keep screens and doors closed and windows closed so that the mosquitoes don't get into okay. your home. Just things like that.
0: Sophia Fisher, reporter at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at MoabTimes.com. Last year, the graduation rate at Grand County High School fell from 85 percent to 73 percent. That's according to recent reporting by Allison Hartford of the Moab Sun News. But now she says there's a new life skills centered pathway to graduation for students. She highlights her story about it in the latest edition of The Sun.
4: This new school called the Student Career and Success Center is going to function as like a school within a school. So it's like a a kind of like a new school within um, the high school. And what it's going to try to do is lower local dropout rates and also raise the graduation rate. So. Last year, the graduation rate at Grand County High School was 73%, um, and the year prior is 85%, so that's, like, a pretty huge drop, and that's also only counting the students who make it to senior year before dropping out. Like, usually the freshman class is around 130 students, and senior classes are around 100 students, and so I talked to Kari Gaylor, who is the Director of Career and Technical Education at the high school, and she said, like, The high school is just losing more and more kids every year. And so she really wanted to start an alternative school, which could be this like career and life skills centers pathway to graduation for students who have experienced interruptions to their formal education and are at pretty high risk of dropout. How
0: is this going to be set up? Then Is this like part of the high school? Is it somewhere else? Like, what's it what's it going to be like?
4: Yeah, so it'll be based at the Moab Community Resource Center. Um, And right now, students who go to this school are still going to be enrolled in the high school. Um, but there's only going to be 16 students there because Kari really wants to maintain a ratio of eight students to one teacher and each student is going to have a really individualized learning plan and so um, students who graduate from the SCSC will only have to um, earn 24 credits to graduate and currently the high school diploma requires 32 so these students have like Um, less classes to take, which in their case is much better for them because these are students who um, maybe they're struggling with mental health or maybe they're working through the juvenile justice system or they have involvement with like the Division of Children and Family Services. Like these are students who kind of have a lot going on outside of school. And so really what Kari wants to do is find a way to keep them in school and um, to still have them graduate. And so The classes at this school will be split into three two-hour blocks. Most of those classes will be offered online. Um, The school already uses a program called Imagine Edge Nuity, but students will also be able to earn credits through hands-on and project-based learning. Kari said she's still figuring out the details for that because each student will receive such individualized learning. Um, and so really each student there will have their own kind of class schedule and um, learning outcomes.
0: You mentioned what puts a student um, perhaps at risk for not graduating in the traditional high school setting. And it sounds like um, I liked what you said about stud- students who just have a lot going on outside of school. Like school is not the main thing in their life. Um And might be dealing with circumstances that are quite difficult and it's hard to get to school.
4: Right. Exactly. And Kari and I also talked about how a lot of students in our community um, already have jobs and they're working through high school. And so sometimes those students find that if they're successful in their job, then they kind of are wondering, you know, why would I go to school while I could be going to this job and earning money? And so that's something that's kind of unique in our area is that we have a lot of students who work through high school. Um, And so hopefully the school will be able to accommodate those kids as well. Right. I can see how it
0: would be tempting, you know, as an older student, if you're making money and you're doing well in your job, you might say, you know, what's the point of this for now, at least?
4: Exactly. And also, um, Kari said that a lot of the students who are involved in career and technical education, um, they have a much higher graduation rate than the usual. Um, So. While the graduation rate last year was 73% overall, all the students who are involved in CTE, it was around 85. Um, and so, you know, if students have a career focus or if they have a reason for wanting to be at school, they're way more likely to graduate. So that's what the CSC will do. This is the first year or the first really a few weeks that it'll be open.
0: Anything else to say about this new venture for Grand County School District?
4: Yeah, so this is definitely the first year Carrie that she feels like they're building the plane while they're flying it, but she views that as a really good thing, and um, it allows them to be very flexible for the future school year. Um, There's another article
0: that I'd love to highlight in the Moab Sun News. This one takes us um,
4: millions of years ago. (laughs) Yeah, so um, as a lot of us know, Utah is a potbed for paleontology, Um, like new dinosaur species or, or dinosaur fossils are always getting discovered here. And there are a lot of paleontologists who come and work in our area, but it's also a really big place for hobbyists. Um, so the Utah friends of paleontology have a local chapter here. And so I talked to Lee Shenton, who's the chapter president, just about, um, like their club and meetings. And what I learned is that they do a ton of things in the community. Like for members, it provides an avenue to talk with working paleontologists and also to do hands on fossil work. Um, And then for non-members, it creates this local resource of people who know a lot about fossils that anyone can access. So all the meetings that our local club have are open to the public and the meetings are really cool. They always have a local paleontologist come and talk about a new discovery or something that they're working on. Um, And then also they just provide a resource for the community. So one of their recent projects is um, earlier this summer, a chunk of the dinosaur bone, which is a femur bone um, at the Moa museum separated from the rest of the fossil And so the museum um, called up the Utah Friends of Paleontology local chapter, and they were able to use their resources and their network with paleontologists to put this fossil back together, which is super cool.
0: That's awesome. I know Lee Shinton, the chapter president, is always so humble about his own expertise. They're, they're amateurs, but they like to hang out with ex- experts and help them wherever they can.
4: Definitely. Yeah, Lee mentioned that too, that local chapter members are always really excited to do what sometimes pros view as like the tedious fossil work. Um yeah, it's really cool. One of their other big projects is that they've run this fossil lab at Moab Giants. So there they help out with fossil prep, but they also answer questions and give tours to visitors who come through. And in the year or so that the group has run the lab, um, Lee said they've talked to over 7,000 people, which is amazing. Um, so he's really enjoyed educating the public and he loves talking to school age kids, he said, because they're super motivated and knowledgeable. Um. yeah, and it's just really exciting talking to them because everyone involved with this club is super psyched on it.
0: They're very passionate about paleontology. Like you said, we have huge paleontological resources here, so um, there's a lot to be excited about. And you said there's a meeting coming up.
4: Yes. So their next meeting is on August 30th. It's open to the public and it'll feature Andrew Milner from the St. George Dinosaur Discovery Center. Um, who will be talking about the rise of dinosaurs in the American Southwest. So if you're interested in going to the meeting or even in becoming a member, um, you can go to their website at www.utahpaleo.org. Allison Harford, reporter
0: at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News Podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.